Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio. I'm Dane. In this episode, we had the opportunity to interview a few community content creators to get to know them and to shed some light on their very own full-length eight-part campaigns. The intention of this episode is to expose you to these campaigns with the hopes that you might give their hard work a try. So each one of these interviews is spoiler-free. We hope you enjoy We're here with the creator of the fan-made campaign, Call the Plague Bearer. Some might know him as Dr. Jack Science. Others know him as Walker of Tales. Walker, welcome to the cast. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, um, so we kind of wanted to get to know you first. I think some, some players of Arkham might not be uh, in the loop about all the cool custom campaigns that there are available. So maybe we'll start by asking, who are you? And how long have you been playing Arkham? Yeah, I am a... Pretty basic, died in the wool nerd. I program as a day job. I, uh, I, before getting super into making Arkham stuff, uh, always forever DM, running a million campaigns. Oh. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, hopefully starting to get back into that soon. But meanwhile, Arkham wise, I, uh, started playing the game back when it released because I couldn't get any of my friends into Netrunner. Uh, but oh, heartbreaking. You know, you know what's nice about Arkham? Only I have to buy it, and then they <laughs> just have to show up. Good point. That is a great. That was feature. what got my foot in the door, and then midway through Dunwich Cycle, um, Blood on the Altar, the mm. bit where it's oh, oh, this card that is mechanically just a card, but in the theme, in like the flavor of it, is a person can die. For my choices, that was where it hooked me, and I've been like, yeah, I've been on board ever since. Nice, love it. Yeah, that's definitely one of the early effects that uh, kind of comes out of nowhere, right? Because you're you you just got off this train, uh, which was also an incredible experience, and then you're here with all your allies. They introduce charisma, and you're all like, oh, everything's going great. Look at all my friends, and then those same friends, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was definitely the first, like, the first you can do that was the masked hunter, where it's like, mm. oh, yeah, you could put an enemy on the back of an agenda. But the first real, like, oh, my God, they went, you can do that in this game for me was Blood on the Altar, was going, like, as if in the middle of a game of Magic the Gathering, someone could just reach across the table, grab your annoying flying creature, and literally tear it in half. And tear it up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> You said it in theory, but I feel like there probably is a magic card that lets you do that. <laughs> there, are, there are unhinged sets that definitely like, have those printed out. But Dan's told me tales of crazy dot sets. <laughs> we'll store yes. that for now, um, because we want to know a little bit more about you, Walker. So um, maybe the two standard questions for everybody, right? Like these are these are your bread and butter questions. Your favorite official campaign and your favorite class. So my favorite official campaign, surprising absolutely no one, is the Path to Carcosa. That is the first time I played Dim Carcosa is still in like my top five gaming moments of all time. There was this beautiful poetic moment of someone flipped the, we were doing Doubt Run, someone flipped the thing on the tower where it's, do you push the person? They went, no, we're not going to do this. And then we slowly come to the realization that to win the level, someone's going to have to go up and push. And it, it's a great campaign. Edge of the Earth is a close second at this point. Um, okay. Because I tend to go story-based as a big part of the draw for me. Um, and Edge of the Earth has just a fantastic story. But Carcosa still is the high watermark. Yeah, that's, that's about where I'm at, too. <laughs> what about class? Mystic. The combination of being able to say no, uh, which is just a really strong ability, <laughs> um, and 
the idea that you can kind of handle anything as long as you get the right cards out is like as long as your deck isn't completely screwing up you're probably doing something helpful there and that's that's <laughs> why i really like mystic and they can Although do it my everything, favorite right? favorite investigator uh is a terrible choice in finn edwards i love oh. that man I mean, Finn Edwards is pretty fantastic. Finn's pretty good. He's just not a mystic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's A, he's not a mystic, and B, Trish is probably strictly better. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I love Finn. <laughs> one, of my, one of my other top five gaming moments uh, was playing uh, the Keeper's Nightmare uh, at um, Arkham Knights against Maxine. And oh, cool. Her searching through my deck for one card which ended up which she then hands to you face down you can either take it or reject it if you reject it and it's a weakness she gets rewarded if you take it and it's a good card she gets rewarded oh neat i don't don't think jeremy did that to us (laughs) i point to the card and go it's uh offer of power it's the version of offer oh yeah Uh, i point to the card and go that's the skeleton key get rid of it And she shrugs her shoulders, flips the skeleton key face up, and removes it from the game. Wow. (laughs) Nice. Cool. Well, I think we all have those moments, right? Where uh, those sorts of things define these games for us as like, yes, this is is why I love this game, right? So what inspired you to kind of pursue making like a custom campaign? Because it's a lot of work, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we can talk about how much work it is later. First, let's talk about the fun stuff, which is uh, yeah. the inspiration. So a big part of it was just witnessing stuff like dark matter and development and going, oh, this can be, this can be good, um, was the first thing that made me... Because I had engaged a little bit with some Arkham Central stuff that was decent, but not like the kind of thing that makes you want to keep playing it. Mm. Um, and aside from that, the only custom I was aware of before Dark Matter was Constellation on the Consternation, which is a lot of fun, but there's a difference between like, oh, these like super innately involved, uh, the Mythos Busters went and made a scenario versus random person ABC made a whole campaign themselves. Totally. Um, combining that with the fact that there were a lot of things that a lot of stuff that I looked at the game with under the handle of like, well, you could do this. And there's a number of things that were like, but they haven't done this and they won't necessarily ever do this because rules wise, it might be a little too finicky or such and such. And kind of coming to the realization that's like, if I want that to exist, I should probably just make it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I ended up making an eight-part campaign, which is a mistake that I don't recommend. <laughs> like, I think Dane's trying to work on a making, campaign. I don't making know. Making an eight-part campaign, I don't recommend. Yes. Playing an eight-part campaign, fantastic. <laughs> totally, totally, yeah, yeah. I am, I am in the middle of doing it, too, and it is definitely a ton of work. And I've gained a lot of respect for you, you folks who have completed it done all the art for it. There's just nights where I'll be up until like two in the morning looking for art on our station and yep. stuff like that. So I totally get it. You uh, joked about the card jury rigged incendiary on a stream at one point. Yes. That card took me so long to find good art for. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I perfect. ended up finding that like, what is it? It's like boom written yes. on, a, on a barrel or something. <laughs> on a powder keg. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. So, I mean, we're talking a little bit about like sort of specifics about the campaign. What is your campaign all about? What is Call of Paper all about? Are there is there specific like references to things that that you sort of drew inspiration from in in designing it, flavor and all that? So yeah, I'll start with the story and then talk about like in inspiration, mechanics and stuff like that. Story-wise, after a after you almost want to put Call of the Plague Bearer after some other campaign because it opens with your investigators in the hospital it, it, like not in a great state. And then all of a sudden, all of your investigators wake up in a morgue. And over the course of, I think it's uh, specifically 31 hours, a series of terrible events unfold involving the undead, terrifying 
infectious miasmatic gas that's turning people against their own wills. Evil parades, basically. Just the angriest secret agents who do not have time for your BS. Um, And one super untrustworthy doctor. Mm. The inspirations there's three primary materials i was drawing on when i was creating this campaign in terms of both mechanics and flavor the first two are more central than the third uh but the third is the big like lovecraft connection Hmm. the first one is arkham horror second edition the board game uh which i played a lot of back in high school when it was like the one cool the one like weird game that was in the collection for the high school after school like board game club like nice. a bunch of reasonable oh, wow. games and arkham second edition and so <laughs> i devoured that thing and so i have all these fond memories of all these moments and characters and cards and a lot of those get soft referenced and stuff in a number of the scenarios. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do while making this campaign was do a campaign that just took place in Arkham. Because even mm. um, even TCU, you do leave by the end of it. I've noticed some of the references. I don't think I've caught all of them in the playthrough we've been doing. But I do appreciate it because Arkham 2nd Edition was, was the game that got me into uh, not terrible board games. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's Arkham 2nd Edition itself is a board game that has not aged wonderfully um, there's a lot of there's a lot of old style design in that that uh is really cool but also i understand why people don't necessarily want to spend an evening playing arkham second edition yeah, it's fair. Um, <laughs> one of the main things is that there's a number of locations and a number of characters that are taken directly from that board game and mm. sort of are peppered throughout the campaign Sure. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Any other like references that you so could speak of anyway? That wouldn't be spoiled. The next reference is one that you've probably caught on um, in playing some of the levels that don't really take place in Arkham proper, and that is Resident Evil. Yeah. Specifically, like the first three <laughs> games in particular. It's because of all the briefcases. Um, so than... yeah. <laughs> well, so funny story. <laughs> A briefcase full of vials of glowing material in a hallway Mm. where violence has took place sure does sound like uh, the start of the Raccoon City outbreak, doesn't it? Totally. Mm. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, that's kind of something that we've picked up on sort of mid-campaign. And I won't spoil anything for for folks who are listening, but um, I'd say it's pretty, pretty spot on (laughs) with mechanics and things. One thing I want to make clear is there are campaigns that do direct adaptational stuff, uh, like Alice in Wonderland, which is great. I didn't want to do direct adaptation of Resident Evil. I wanted to take bits and pieces that feel like Resident Evil and put them into things. Part of it was that Waking Nightmare from Dream Eaters felt very Resident Evil. It felt very like, oh, like, shoot 'em up horror game to me. And I was kind of hoping the rest of the campaign would feel like that. And it did not, which mm. is reasonable. Right. But that was one of the things where I'm like, if I want a Resident Evil campaign, I think I might just have to make it. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah. But uh, there's uh, a manor full of the undead that won't stay dead. There's uh, an enemy that a specific boss enemy that seems to be hard to keep down um and oh i think we figured how to kill him stupid... i think we're good yeah no you've killed him permanently yeah um, definitely and then there's a stupid there's a stupid egregious crest puzzle uh, <laughs> loved it yeah that yeah. makes no that makes no sense as existing within oh, the great. place it exists who would do this much like a, <laughs> much like a police station <laughs> yeah who, who has a mansion and they're like in case any any horrible epidemic happens, I'm gonna break this medallion in half and hide it amongst the house. It's like, hmm, I don't know about that. That one feels yeah. less egregious to me because the mansion was like <laughs> built on top of this. Like it's 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 all sort of built together. Hmm. The police station in Resident Evil Two. Why does it have card game like fifty two card playing deck suit keys and like <laughs> a unicorn crest and stuff? It's a police station. <laughs> 
they do find some ways to hand wave that in uh, remakes, but the point still stands. <laughs> yes, yes, totally, totally. The final, uh, the final re- reference uh, is mostly in uh, a specific character that shows up repeatedly, um, and that is uh, the Herbert West reanimator. Mm-hmm. Primarily the movie, but also the story. The story is like many of Lovecraft's stories. It has a lot of good elements. It also has completely egregious racism that does not need to be there. Like, could have just told a zombie story there, buddy. Oh, yep. You could have just told a mad science story there, buddy. 100%. But when I was sort of going, okay, how do you tell a story involving the undead in Arkham? Well, there is this one character. <laughs> sure. Whole thing is that he's like, like, you could see Herbert West existing in a Resident Evil game. Mm. totally yeah it ties together so well right yeah it was it was perfect yeah you have uh you've not seen the last of the 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 good doctor in your campaign cool where you're currently well, yeah, I, I suspect as much um yeah 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 i feel like there's there's an issue with characters undead or otherwise staying dead or staying out of the game so i, I like mean, that part of it in your campaign he's not even necessarily dead he just sort of disappeared just yeah, he, yeah, he's uh he's been bouncing in and out. I don't know. We'll, yeah. see, what's, we'll see what happens with him next. It's part of how I'm how I try to characterize him as this sort of like self obsessed, capricious kind of guy where it's like mm-hmm. he doesn't he thinks of you as tools and so him leaving isn't like betraying you, it's just you don't have use to him right now. So Yeah, he's done with you for the moment. <laughs> What was your favorite part kind of designing this whole campaign? And then maybe what was your, like, your biggest struggle? Like what, what was the toughest thing to other, overcome other than finding the boom art? <laughs> uh, favorite part designing. Um, there are two things that I absolutely love. The first is when a scenario starts to come together, when the mechanical pieces click into place and you realize exactly how to resolve the one problem you had from those play tests and like, hold on, if I do this with this, if I use damage to track the fire and horror to track the madness spreading throughout the city, then you can move that on, you can do stuff with that in cards, mm. like, etc. The second one is watching people play it, um, because half the joy of it is seeing the highs and lows of other people's campaigns and hearing, like, hearing them talk about the great time they had or how they got absolutely wrecked by, you know... I'm forgetting like, his name, but from playing from uh, playing board games, I think took Yorick into the campaign the first time. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. And I like to refer to Scenario Three as Yorick's nightmare. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is actually Yorick's nightmare. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I there's a couple of things like that. I don't try to specifically make scenarios to hose characters. It's just that sometimes when you're doing a mechanic, a character's mechanic runs contrary to it. Yeah, yeah, totally. that happens. I imagine it's like DMing, but for like a lot of people at once, kind of, because you're. <laughs> it has a similar vibe. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, what about uh, like biggest struggle? I want to say probably scenario two. Hmm. That one okay. was a bear and a half to make work. I went sure. through. I want to say like fifteen primary versions as I like Ooh, wow. tried it, started again, tried it, started again, and. There were even, like... So here's a story from playtesting. Scenario 2 has a mechanic called Defend, where you test something other than one of the investigator's normal skill stats. Mm. And Defend has this sub-ruling on it where you can't use things that boost your skill value on these tests. That sub-ruling was not originally there. And my, my, sure. in my brain, I'm like, this is reasonable because people can use Lucky. People can use, uh, like, Live and Learn feels like a great card for these. Sure. And then I got playtest feedback from someone who wanted me to, who was basically like, this scenario sucks and you need to completely remake it. And after asking God. a few clarifying questions, it turned out that they had healed Mark Harrigan for 30 damage over the course of that scenario. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They did not use clues to pass <laughs> tests. They just pinned Sophie three times. Got it. Oh, it's great. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's totally valid. I mean, those are the kind of things that sometimes you have to like return to them after the entire campaign. And then what do you do, right? Like after your whole campaign is done and then somebody finds an exploit somewhere and it's like, that mechanic is running throughout this entire campaign. What do I do? Kind of a, kind of a question. So 
yeah, that could I could I could see those kinds of things being awful. <laughs> There's a joke often repeated amongst uh, the people in the particular Discord channel we tend to talk in, where uh, you know you're like you know you've reached a level of like I'm making it work as a designer when you have to completely redesign a scenario around Luke Robinson. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, I feel like <laughs> she's probably the bane, right, of everybody's cool custom scenarios and campaigns. Luke Robinson and Mindwipe; those are the two really? things that gotcha. most constrain the design space. Sure, Mindwipe eliminates so many cool things you can do with enemies because those enemies can just be blanked. Sure, it means that <laughs> any enemy, any enemy that needs to have a cool mechanic, needs elite, or it has to be like on the actor or the gender or something, right? Do a lot of playtesters use Mindwipe specifically to mess with that? Or is it more no, like you're just really worried someone will break Mindwipe? <laughs> it's just the thing that it's it's like Mark Harrigan showing up and dealing 30 and being like, this scenario sucks. It's <laughs> someone comes in with Mindwipe, cancels the monster that's supposed to be pursuing someone the entire scenario. Mm. And you're like, uh, okay. Uh, yep. Well, I that can't happened. make Mindwipe not a card. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, similarly, the um, the recent telescope card is a pretty constraining one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Pocket telescope. Because you can't do you can't do stuff with hiding stuff under locate like shuffle the location puzzles right. as well. Totally. If, uh, if one person can just be like, it's this one. Right. <laughs> right. It kind of deflates yeah. the whole thing. So. Walker, what is your like pitch for folks who are interested in playing your campaign, now that they've heard a little bit about it? If you like uh, zombie media, if you like, the, if you like fighting back the hordes of the infected while trying to defend what little humanity is left in this like pocket of civilization, if you like Arkham and the sort of history of it... Um, and if you want to engage with mechanics that are, frankly, too out there for the game itself to get into, you two have seen a fair number of them. Scenarios 7 and 8 both go bonkers in terms of what they're going to do. Um, well, oh boy. But, uh, yeah, uh, there's a number of mechanics that are like, they probably couldn't print this. The final pitch is, if you want to play... Arkham campaign where your decisions affect the board itself as you proceed through the campaign. If a decision you make in scenario one or two means that in scenario six or seven, you've got a specific location on the board that is only there because you made that choice in the way that your house worked in the core campaign. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't really, they haven't really done stuff with. This was that was one of the guiding lights was getting it was putting that mechanically into place where it's like, but what if your decisions really affected the future maps and the future play space? Totally. Yeah. And those are the kinds of mechanics that do have that hook, right? Where people mm-hmm. are like, oh, this is why I still play this game. And I think that kind of with, from Ben and I's standpoint, from we've played a little over half of the, the campaign, it's actually absolutely intact. As far as campaigns that I've played, it's. It's great. It's clean. It's got a lot of like it, it feels like it's 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 uh you know fully realized in a lot of ways. So uh you know huge props for for making it through an entire eight part campaign, days, nights, months, years, however long you worked on it, because it's it's really great. Um so lastly, Walker, we wanted to kind of ask you, is there anything that you want to plug at the end? Yeah, so my campaign is just one of a bunch of really great custom campaigns out there. And there's a lot of people working on really interesting stuff, which you can find on your own. But there is this uh, site, mysterioustranting.wordpress.com, which was originally put together by Axolotl, the designer of Dark Matter, which mm. many people, myself included, tend to think of as like the high watermark for custom campaigns. Mm. Um, everyone's, everyone making them is kind of trying to match Dark Matter. Uh, in sure, terms of, yeah. but there's a lot of great campaigns on there. There's a lot of, and people are consistently coming out with new stuff, myself included. I've got one that I'm working on at the moment. So, ooh, cool. Well, That's we're definitely sad. excited to play that. 
Yeah, the agony tales. Ooh. Uh, your investigators find a strange pulp magazine in their home and start reading it and realize that they're the protagonist of these horrible horror stories. And then never, they start coming true. Never read books. <laughs> never read books. I love the premise, and I'm sure that that's going to be uh, some fuel for folks who haven't heard about it quite yet. So, so Walker, again, thanks so much for coming on the cast. We really appreciate having you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and everybody uh, who's listening, thanks so much for uh, checking this this uh, segment out. See you, everybody. All right, thanks. Bye. Up next, we have the creator of the fan-made campaign, Ages Unwound, uh, community creator Olivia Juliet. Uh, welcome to the show. Happy to have you with us. Uh, happy to be here. Hello. Yeah, we're, uh, we're really excited about this. So Ben and I have been playing through this campaign as, as a duo. We, I think we're, we finished the first four scenarios, so we're sort of like a little more than halfway through it, and we're, we're really enjoying it so far. That's, that's great to hear. Um, I've, it's always really nice to hear that people are enjoying it. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, we were we were told uh, one of the main features of the cane that drew us in uh, because of our rabid fandom of a certain type of ancient lizard. Uh, so <laughs> we were, we were very excited for that, um, and we've been definitely been enjoying it. So uh, before we go any further, um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us who you are and how long you've been playing Arkham Horror. So I'm Olivia, Olivia Juliet. Uh, I have been playing Arkham since 2016, I think. It was when Anich was coming out. Mm. And I got a core set, and I played a bit of it, and went, this is cool. Maybe I'll play this a couple more times. Anyway, a thousand hours of playing Arkham and more money than I care to count later. Uh, (laughs) Here I am. So, I mean, I think the great thing about this game is it really offers a lot of different things to different people, and I think different people have their own reasons for why it's it's so special to them. What is it about Arkham Horror that, that really appeals to you or that, that has sort of kept you playing for those thousands of hours? I think it's a brilliant a core. The mechanics that were built at the core of it are just so expandable and there's so much you can do with it. And the work that like MJ and Kerr are doing, putting out new content, is great. It's all built on this system that's just so expandable and and like myself and all the other content creators can make wild and variedly different things because this rule set it's it's simple-ish but it's just so so much possibility and so many different stories you can tell within it and that just kind of captivates me building new decks telling new stories with it and experiencing the new stories that both the people at ffg and the homebrew content creator are making that's totally true i mean you know games like uh, like eldritch horror is a really fun game but Nobody really, at least not to my knowledge, nobody really makes, you know, fan campaigns or fan maps or anything for it, or at least not to the scale that, that we've seen it for Arkham Horror. There's something about the card game that is just really miraculously expandable and sort of flexible in terms of what you can do with it. It's 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 really great. I think that's an, an element in there uh, of, with Eldritch Horror, if you buy a new expansion, you're broadly just adding content into a pool. With Arkham... You've always got one campaign. You've always got a couple of decks. So it's you're pulling bits of content out and play, combining two elements together, not looking at a vast pool of content. And that's great. I like Eldritch Horror. Yeah, every new campaign is like a new experience. Well, Eldritch Horror is kind of like the old experience with a couple little enhancements, right? And that's the case for a lot of new games when you have expansions. But but this one's this one's like yeah, everything's new. Uh, new card, new player cards, and campaign every time. Uh, do you have a favorite official campaign or favorite class? I really like the Forgotten Age, mm. which gets a lot of flack, and I think a lot of that's valid. <laughs> but I enjoy it; it makes me happy. And there's, there's a lot of different scenarios that just do some really interesting things. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I think a lot of that flack, or well, at least some of it has originated, well, not originated, but this podcast has participated in, in some <laughs> of that flack. But I think we all appreciate some some things about it, definitely. And uh, I, I have to say, I think one of the, uh, you know, when Forgotten Age was first announced, we got really excited because we saw, you know, time travel campaign, 
sort of jungle kind of environment, we started thinking, oh, are we going to see dinosaurs? And then, of course, we didn't get to see dinosaurs and we were very upset. But Ages Unwound, you know, Ages Unwound is bringing us what, what we've been looking for. So in that sense, <laughs> very exciting for us. Happy to have fulfilled that need for you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a favorite class or do you kind of bounce around between all of them? I'm going to say Vogue, but if you ask me tomorrow, I'll say something different. All right, fair enough. Why don't you tell us what your campaign is all about? Like, what inspired you to make it? Uh, any Anything specific that you, uh, like, referenced or, um, you know, that inspired you? So I think the biggest point of influence for it is the Doctor Who episode Blink, hmm. which introduces the Weeping Angels, which a lot of people love. Incredibly scary. <laughs> It is. It does. It does give you nightmares. Yes. It also builds this very clever network of time travel because it's all. It's a loop, effectively. It's. It's the bootstrap paradox that things can only happen because they've happened, and that's been done in a lot of other places. But I think that's the first place I encountered it. And Age of Unwound does have a bit of its own bootstrap paradox. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I started building it. In 2018, I think with the middle scenarios, the most kind of weird and timey, and then it built out from there. The most uh, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, as 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 they say. The uh, yeah. I, I, so for for the listeners, this is it, it's definitely a a, a very like it's, it's a very time travel centric campaign. Ben and I have played the first few scenarios, so we kind of have sort of a sense of where it's going. I think we're really interested to see. Um, how it concludes, but yeah. So b- besides besides Doctor Who, are you a, are you a fan of like time travel and fiction in general? Like, has that always been a thing that you've been interested in? Are there any other sort of um, reference points that you've looked to for how to tell a story that jumps around between different times or anything like that? I don't think I have any other specific reference points, but I am a big fan of science fiction, so definitely drawn a little bit from a lot of places. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of how you actually go about designing, you know, the, the scenarios and the mechanics for this campaign and, and, and for other stuff? You know, do you take sort of like a top-down approach or a bottom-up approach? Like, do you start with the story you want to tell and then you look at the mechanics? Or do you sort of start with what you want the mechanical feel to be like and then you sort of fill in the story around that? What is your process like? It just We're really interested in this, if you can tell us anything about, um, you know, how you actually make this stuff. I think I start very top-down. All of the scenarios in the campaign started with, here is a story I want to tell. Uh, and some of them had a couple of different iterations of that to try and make the mechanics work to fit that. Um, it's why it's only seven scenarios. I couldn't find a good way to do an ape that wasn't just shoehorning something in. Mm. So eventually I decided just not to. And then, I mean, FFG have released a new model and eight doesn't need to be the case anymore. So I feel vindicated. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the mechanics... I'm a big mechanics person. So once I've got the the general idea for the scenario, I tend to look for a mechanical hook. Be that I'm going to make a huge map and you're going to walk around the world, or there's one guy and he is everywhere. Mm. So once I have an idea, I'm quite bottom up, but I start with uh, the point of the scenario. Yeah, I think you mentioned you you mentioned earlier that the the middle scenario was like the first one you designed, or is that the first one you just had like the idea for and built around it? Yeah, the first two scenarios I built were. Four and five. Like I said, we, we haven't seen the end of it yet, but it feels like that fourth scenario is sort of like a pivot or like an axis that sort of the rest of it kind of, you know, revolves around maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Because before that, it's not really a time travel campaign. Before that, it's just what you get attacked by cultists, you go track them down, you try and stop a, a ritual. That's very standard Arkham. Yeah, I mean, there's like hint, hints of some, some time stuff going on, or at least... I think if you're savvy in the genre, uh, you might recognize some, some things. So, uh, but then you know, yeah, it doesn't, we kind of do the dive in right at the end of the third scenario. So, do you have a is do you have like a single favorite part about the campaign that you're most proud of, or that was the most fun in design, or do you have anything that was the most difficult or the biggest struggle to work on? I took a lot of runs at scenario three. Hmm. Scenario three has to be interesting and has to be a fun scenario while also setting up a lot of stuff that will pay off later. Mm. Which meant quite often I'd do a build of it, and either it just wasn't very fun, it was very generic, or it was not doing what it needed to. So I spent a lot of time on that one. I really like 5, and I've 
I think Five is the fan favorite as well. Mm. A lot of positive feedback about Five. We talked about Eldritch Horror, and I like Eldritch Horror, but I have a lot of frustrations with Eldritch Horror. Scenario Five is Olivia tries to do Eldritch Horror right. Mm. Ooh, okay. That's a very presumptuous way of phrasing (laughs) that. No, I mean, I I, I think that's totally fair, you know? I mean, and and that that makes me very excited to play it. Yeah, the the inspiration is writ large over it. You will see it. Okay, well, I'm excited for that now. I think we're uh we're 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 probably kind of coming up to the end here. Before we go, do you want to make a you know? There's probably people listening to this who who haven't played the campaign yet. Um, do you have sort of like a like a pitch or like a selling points to sort of um you know, uh, tell people what's special about it and and maybe try to entice people to give it a try? So one dinosaurs. Mm. Absolutely. That's I mean you know, two thumbs up for that for sure. Honestly, that's that's all we needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we've 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 enjoyed all aspects of it, including the non-dinosaur parts. But that was definitely the thing that got us in the door. I like to think there are some very interesting scenario design, but the the real hook is time travel explored more in depth from the Forgotten Age. It's mm. really the heart of the campaign is messing with time and seeing what happens. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. I think you mentioned earlier that Forgotten Age has this interesting position where it's sort of, it, it's a little divisive. Like some people really, really like it. Some people really don't like it. But I think either of those camps, I think if you like Forgotten Age, you'll probably find things that you like in Ages Unwound. And if you didn't like Forgotten Age, but you, you're still interested in the idea of a time travel campaign, this might work better for you. I, it, so far, it's working better for me. Um, I also just want to say, you know, in terms of playing these custom campaigns, um, some of them can be like a little bit rough around the edges. Some of them, maybe some of the art is a little wonky or some of the mechanics are not templated uh, as well as like the official scenarios. This one, after each scenario, we, we keep saying to ourselves like, wow, th- it went really smoothly. The rules were like very well written. It was balanced very well. The art looks great. Like it, the, just like the level of kind of professionalism of design in this is, is really, really high. So that's a, that's a really great credit to you. We, we've been having a great time with it. So, you know, congratulations on, on really making a really great campaign. Thank you. So I'm I am working on an update which is tweaking a few things. I know that one of the scenarios needs a bit of a rework, but honestly, I am surprised at how little I'm needing to change. A lot of the feedback I'm getting is more about this specific card doesn't work quite right more than this scenario mm. is broken and you should feel bad about yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, well, that's good. Yeah, I don't think we've encountered anything... That confused us too much or anything, so it's been it's been pretty smooth as Dan said. I I think uh, I, I I almost want to complain about the uh, the encounter card that goes on one of your items and uh, basically forces you to trash it, but that's only because I've gotten unlucky and drawn it like five times. That's not actually a, it's not a problem with the campaign. It's just me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess you're you haven't quite finalized the campaign yet, but I think eventually you, you'll probably finalize it and, and make it so it's more print and playable. I think it's just available on a certain virtual. Uh, Mechanism right now is that true? Elect- ele- Electromechronic yeah. <laughs> Digimol Entertainment yeah. Sphere. Yeah, it's just pixels right now. I didn't want to put out something for people to print that I'd then make a bunch of changes to. Yeah, but as as you say, when it's a bit more finalized, I definitely want a print version out there. Uh, well, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, before we go, is there anything uh, that you'd like to plug? Uh, any other projects you're working on, or just something you want to call out? This is the only thing that's anywhere near seeing the light of day so <laughs> play ages unwound it's great yeah we we absolutely recommend everybody do that and uh we'll we'll stay tuned for for whatever you're working on in the future too uh yeah so thanks uh thanks very much olivia and uh yeah we really appreciate it thank you for having me To wrap it all up this episode, we're here with the creator of the fan-made campaign, Dark Matter, community creator, Axolotl. Axolotl, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on with us. Hello. I'm happy to be here. I totally had to go and Google how to pronounce Axolotl, because <laughs> it's definitely something that I haven't said many times in my life before. <laughs> I definitely, like, there's a new Google Translate thing. If you type it in, Axolotl pronunciation... You can like go back and forth with the prompt and it's it's kind of neat. But anyway, that's not why we're here. <laughs> we are here because we wanted to spotlight your uh, campaign, Dark Matter. So maybe the first question to kind of get us into everything, 
is to ask, who are you, and how long have you been playing Arkham? Okay, so I'm Axolotl. People might know me from a lot of homebrew channels, and yeah, I've made Dark Matter. Um, I've also made a scenario called The Symphony of Eric Zan. It's a little side story. That was a... Let me think about... When did I start playing Arkham? I started playing between when Dream Eaters was coming out. So with COVID and all that, I'm not sure what time that was. <laughs> That's fair. I started playing around that time, and I, I got really into it. Well, you have to get really into it to be able to make a fan campaign. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I mean, I've always loved game design in general and doing mods for video games and stuff like that. So it was just natural for me to also look into that side of the things for Arkham. And Arkham itself is such a brilliantly designed narrative game that for me, it feels like a medium to tell stories in. And as a medium, it's very easy to adapted to tell your own stories so yeah i kind of grew into it really fast and i started making very small scenarios by myself that weren't published just for fun while i was playing through all the campaigns and over time i decided to try to make some polished ones to publish them so two obligatory questions i know you said that you started partway through Dream Eaters, but yeah. out of all of the ones that you've done, do you have a favorite official campaign? I I think it's pretty obvious that it's Carcosa. <laughs> <laughs> we, we figured, we just wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Carcosa, yeah. but um, I can I can explain why. Sure. I love the narrative. Haster is definitely my favorite old one. And I I think Carcosa had the perfect amount of like, storytelling and also the way it tells the story leaves a lot of interpretation to the player to fill in the gaps. So mm-hmm. I really like that aspect of Arkham, the, like, when you tell your own stories through the gameplay. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite class? Ha. <laughs> Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> I love survivors. They're, they're, all, they're all so wacky and weird. Nice. Each of them feels so unique to each other. Yeah, survivors are kind of like the one class that don't really exist in other games, right? Because generally when you think of like a game, sort of like archetype classes, you think of the guardian, right? Who's like the warrior or whatever. You think of the seeker who's like the, the mage or whatever. But like, I think for me, survivor are flavorfully my favorite because they also just represent something that hasn't ever really been explored in games, which is like, yeah. you're they're kind of like the final girl. They're like the lucky protagonist who has no reason to be alive right now, like an orphan, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like why? But yeah, I, I love Survivors too. Yeah, no, totally agreed. And and that's that's also part of the reason where it's like, they're, they're perfect for a horror game. Right. Yeah, narratively. Totally, totally. So we wanted to ask, maybe getting a little bit more into your campaign, Dark Matter, what is your campaign all about? And what inspired you to make the campaign? So Dark Matter is a campaign about traveling through space. It's set in the far future in a world where the old ones on Earth have already won, so to speak. So humanity is scrambling for survival throughout the solar system. And in Dark Matter, you play as these investigators that kind of just wake up in a spaceship and have no idea what's going on. So I'm also skipping the fact that there's a very, very heavy influence from Carcosa to the point where I really like to call it a sequel to Carcosa. So you were saying a little bit before that that Carcosa yeah. was the inspiration. Yeah. Is there, are there other specific like references or what else kind of inspired you to make the campaign? Oh yeah, I think it comes to no surprise that I love sci-fi horror, <laughs> like movies like Alien, sure, Event Horizon, stuff like that. So yeah, the idea came to me by thinking about how to adapt Arkham into a setting that. I'm pretty sure Maxine and the team at FFG won't do. (laughs) It's a safe bet. Yeah, I was sure that (laughs) 
wouldn't be rendered obsolete. Sure. So I went with a sequel to an existing campaign set in the far future. <laughs> Dane's probably holding out for the Netrunner crossover campaign. He's only oh, crossing yeah. his fingers right now. <laughs> <laughs> we can only oh, hope. There's definitely there's a bit of Netrunner influence in here as well with the cyberpunk themes. Yes. But um, so in making Dark Matter, I knew that I wanted to make it a sci-fi horror campaign. So I decided to add as many sci-fi horror elements in it as possible so that it could encompass everything you would want from someone telling you a sci-fi horror campaign. So evil AI, monsters in a ship, cyberpunk neural networks, a lot of robots, a lot of aliens, friendly aliens, evil aliens, traveling through the solar system... Yeah, I tried to add as many sci-fi references as I could. Hopefully that came through. <laughs> so there's, there isn't really any specific source of inspiration, rather than just the whole idea of sci-fi horror. I, I have to mention that the base narrative of the campaign is based off a Call of Cthulhu supplement called Ripples from Carcosa. So the broad strokes of the plot line kind of comes from there. Sure. The idea of how... Facilda and Haster's connected to the overall storyline. Gotcha. Okay, cool. That's awesome. I'm sure folks who have played the Call of Cthulhu campaign would know that. Is that right? Um, it's like a smaller side story type scenario. So mm. I assume some people might have played it. Okay, so it's Call of Cthulhu Deep Lore then. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's set in a um, far future version. <laughs> oh, that yeah, that's great. All right. That's the three-part campaign? Like, there's, like, a Roman yeah, one, yeah. I think? Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. There's a Roman, a medieval, and a space one. I do remember reading... Uh, I, I read RPGs like, like novels, because I don't really trust my <laughs> players to play with that, so I remember reading that one just because I loved the concept. Yeah, definitely yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I love the concept, too. Cool. Can you talk to us a little bit about your design process? Like... What was your favorite part about designing the campaign? So Dark Matter actually has a pretty interesting design process story. It it was originally conceived and completely created as a three-scenario campaign. So it was like a super short campaign. And for people who've played it, that original campaign consisted of the Tatradamalian, the first scenario right now, Electric Nightmare, the second scenario, and then straight up Starfall, the last scenario. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it started as a super short three-part campaign. And yeah, so I had a few playtesters and they were so interested in the lore of this world, the end times world that was created and expanded upon, that they wanted to see more of the universe. Like three scenarios isn't enough to fully <laughs> explore what the sci-fi horror setting could truly give. Sure. So so then came the super long and difficult process of squeezing in <laughs> five more scenarios in the middle of the campaign. <laughs> no big deal, just five more. <laughs> but personally, I think that that's part of the reason why Dark Matter as a whole felt so cohesive at the end was because while I was even just concepting the f- middle five scenarios, I already knew how the ending worked. So I could get the theme across and some of the mechanics can um, relay to each other throughout the campaign. So knowing the ending made it so writing the middle part, like the the whole middle part for me is all a setup for the ending, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As a storytelling process, I think knowing how it ends is good. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. The middle part's exciting, too, because um, I think it does something that I haven't seen in any other campaign. I don't know if it's too much spoilers or anything, but there's like a there's kind of like an open world kind of yeah. concept, yeah. <laughs> which I really liked. Yeah, the, the middle there's the middle three scenarios where you can play in any order, and there are consequences based on the order of which you play the middle three. It's very, very similar to the first two scenarios of Dunwich. Oh, that's right. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, a bit more in the middle of the campaign. So I, I don't know if you have this feeling when you look through those scenarios, but I, I think 
they all feel like side scenarios, like you're a little exploring some special locales in the solar system. And yeah, that's part of like the consequence slash result of making these scenarios after making the openers and the finale. But I think it ended up pretty cool that you play a few side scenarios to explore the solar system. The middle three are probably my favorite bundle of scenarios in the, this campaign. Yeah, we're kind of making our way through it right now, and that is very clear. I think, like, as somebody who is a huge Star yeah. Trek fan and, and you know, like, kind of just loves the sci-fi realm in general, yeah, you've done a great job with, with really getting into just enough of the, the emptiness and the loneliness of, like, being in that vast expanse, but also having it feel like it's it's just full of like horror and terrible things and also imbuing personality into the into the characters and NPCs that you find along the way. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So what was like your absolute favorite part of designing the campaign? I guess it has to be like the community, right? So <laughs> Sure. Yeah. While I was creating Dark Matter, that was like pretty early nowadays there's like a big community of homebrew people that are hanging out with each other and kind of helping each other create stuff but when I was making Dark Matter that was still in its early stages and it was really fun to help grow this community of homebrew creators together just everyone's making their own campaign but helping each other and playtesting each other's stuff giving each other ideas and that's probably the best part to me, just the, the community itself. It's you'll, you'll notice in all these big campaigns, if you look at the credits list, it's all of each other. <laughs> We've all played each sure. other's campaigns, and we're all at the top of each other's campaigns. So it feels like we're a group creating all of these together rather than these being our individual campaigns for me personally. Yeah. At the same time, we get to like put it, give our own spin to our own campaigns. but Totally, totally. So... I mean, making a a campaign, a full eight-part campaign, like you kind of started out with a three-part campaign, yeah. is a huge endeavor. I mean, even even a three-part campaign is is kind of a huge endeavor. <laughs> but like having to go and get all the art assets, right? Like you're up until two o'clock in the morning, like sifting through art station and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> what was your biggest struggle with creating this campaign? Hmm. You need to commit a lot of time to finishing a campaign though time wasn't that much of a struggle for me because that was like i made this campaign at the height of covid right (laughs) so i had more time than i know what to do with calendars didn't matter exactly right but um i think honestly it kind of went pretty smoothly there are two problem scenarios i like to call them (laughs) in the campaign early on and one of them was scenario 3b in the shadow of earth and the other one is um fragment of carcosa which people might still know as the one that makes your brain hurt (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh uh-oh yeah you got y'all haven't reached there yet (laughs) i don't think so no yeah be prepared to have your brain hurt but um (laughs) so those two scenarios both had major reworks done because the prior versions just weren't working for me. Shadow of Earth came out really well at the end, but Fragment of Carcosa, I still... It's not my favorite. I'm still proud of it, but I don't enjoy playing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's that's where... Um, that like um the problem with that one is I I confused interesting with fun. I like to call that. Where the the design is interesting but it doesn't give a fun scenario to play at the end. So at the end it's kind of a disappointment to me. But I know it will hit with some types of players. Hint the ones that like heavy puzzles. <laughs> heavy logic puzzles but um it it doesn't work for everyone and it's probably a low point of the campaign sure <laughs> so jumping off of the, the low point of the yeah. campaign maybe uh why don't you give us a pitch for folks that you know maybe aren't as familiar with this 
campaign uh what what's your pitch for folks that might be interested in playing that well if you like logic puzzles (laughs) (laughs) i have a campaign for you (laughs) actually the the second one does have a bit of a logic puzzle too we were we were doing it earlier today um and so i mean there are probably more digestible logic puzzles in the the earlier part of the campaign too Uh, dark matter (laughs) has two um very noticeable logic puzzle scenarios, which is Scenario 2, Electric Nightmare, and Scenario 5, Fragment. Oh, man. Electric Nightmare d- does it a lot better, I think. Fragment is not horrible, but it does make your brain hurt, so you gotta be prepared when you play it. Anyway, if I were to pitch the campaign, if you really like the lore of Carcosa and or sci-fi horror, I think... This this will satisfy your like what you're looking for narratively. I've tried to ingrain as much sci-fi horror, as much Carcosa ness into this campaign in like a cohesive matter. And me personally, I'm a narrative player. Yeah. So I I don't actually replay campaigns a lot. I'm I really like the blind playthrough of campaigns. And Dark Matter shines on a blind playthrough as a narrative campaign. There's a lot of scenarios that have twists and turns and both mechanically and narratively that shine bright the first time you play it. Honestly, I think the best way to convince someone to play Dark Matter is to make them read the prologue of Dark Matter. <laughs> I know what's going on there, but I don't want to <laughs> yeah. spoil it because it's excellent. Yeah. If, if, you're, if you're unconvinced... <laughs> I would I would suggest you read the prologue of Dark Matter. <laughs> it's definitely the perfect hook. I was talking with Dane earlier about like uh, we played on uh, we played on some illicit form of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of of, of uh, Arkham playing and um, and uh, I want to get it printed because I think that there's like a tactile uh, benefit to kind of sliding an encounter card in your yeah. hand or something. <laughs> totally, you know. <laughs> But yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, Axolotl, thank you so much for coming here today. It's been a pleasure having you on. And honestly, like creating, like I said before, an eight-part campaign is like such a monolithic feat. So uh, congratulations on its final release. I know it was released at least in its final stage somewhat recently. And last thing we wanted to ask is if there's anything that you wanted to plug. People, sites, anything otherwise? Yeah, I don't really have any links because they're not ready yet but for people who are interested in more custom content from me i'm currently working on return to dark matter which will hopefully fix a few concerns and add a bit of variability (laughs) throughout the campaign (laughs) um but that's not going to come out anytime soon probably in half a year or a year and further along the arkham line i'm also working on Dark Ages, which we've talked about the little Call of Cthulhu supplement, but there's a part that happens in the Dark Ages, and it's going to be... If Dark Matter was a sequel to Carcosa, Dark Ages is a prequel to Carcosa. And then you'd be able to play all three (laughs) in a little trilogy. Um, Non-Arkham-wise, I'm actually working on a video game right now um, with a small team. Ooh, Still under wraps, but it's a roguelike deck builder. Ooh. Um, a game in that genre. So if people like my designs or are interested in that genre, I hope you'll be interested when I reveal more about that. That sounds fantastic. So is this more like along the lines of like something like Say the Spire or Inscription? Yeah, exactly. Cool. What, what a little axolotl twist to it. Nice. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Well, yeah, so I think all of these uh, scenarios should be available on mysterieuschancing.wordpress.com, correct? Exactly. Cool. But otherwise, again, Axolotl, thanks so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you so much. So which campaign will you try first? Do you have any questions for the creators? Check out mysterioustranting.wordpress.com and head over to the Mythos Busters' Discord channel and chat with them in the hashtag homebrewarkham category. 
If you want to reach out to us, leave us a comment or email us at comments at mur.fm. To stay current on what we're doing, follow us on social networks, including Instagram and Twitch, or join our Discord server to hang out. You can find all the links to these at social.mur.fm. And if you really enjoy what we do and want to get more involved, you can become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash Radio. Or just leave us a nice review on your favorite podcast source. Thanks everyone for listening today, and we'll catch you next time.